Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Evangeline, A Tale of a Katie by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Book 1, Part 2 Now had the season returned when the nights grow colder and longer, and the retreating sun the sign of the scorpion enters. Birds of passage sailed through the leaden air from the ice-bound, desolate northern bays to the shores of tropical islands. Harvests were gathered in, and wild with the winds of September wrestled the trees of the forests, as Jacob of old with the angel. All the signs foretold a winter long and inclement. Bees, with prophetic instinct of want, had hoarded their honey till the hives overflowed, and the Indian hunters asserted cold would the winter be, for thick was the fur of the foxes. Such was the advent of autumn. Then followed that beautiful season, called by the pious Acadian peasants the summer of all saints. Filled was the air with a dreamy and magical light, and the landscape lay as if new created in all the freshness of childhood. Peace seemed to reign upon the earth and the restless heart of the ocean was for a moment consoled. All sounds were in harmony blended. Voices of children at play, the crowing of cocks in the farmyards, whir of wings in the drowsy air and the cooing of pigeons. All were subdued and low as the murmurs of love, and the great sun looked with the eye of love through the golden vapors around him while arrayed in its robes of russet and scarlet and yellow, bright with the sheen of the dew, each glittering tree of the forest flashed like the plane tree the Persian adored with mantles and jewels. Now recommenced the reign of rest and affection and stillness. Day with its burden and heat had departed, and twilight descending brought back the evening star to the sky and the herds to the homestead. Pawing the ground they came, and resting their necks on each other, and with their nostrils distended inhaling the freshness of evening. Foremost, bearing the bell, Evangeline's beautiful heifer, proud of her snow-white hide and the ribbon that waved from her collar, quietly paced and slow, as if conscious of human affection. Then came the shepherd back with his bleating flocks from the seaside, where was their favorite pasture. Behind them followed the watchdog, patient, full of importance, and grand in the pride of his instinct, walking from side to side with a lordly air, and superbly waving his bushy tail, and urging forward the stragglers. Regent of flocks was he, when the shepherd slept, their protector, when from the forest at night through the starry silence the wolves howled. Late with the rising moon returned the wains from the marshes laden with briny hay that filled the air with its odor. Cheerily neighed the steeds, with dew on their manes and their fetlocks, while aloft on their shoulders the wooden and ponderous saddles, painted with brilliant dyes and adorned with tassels of crimson, nodded in bright array like hollyhocks heavy with blossoms. Patiently stood the cows meanwhile and yielded their udders unto the milkmaid's hand, whilst loud and in regular cadence into the sounding pails the foaming streamlets descended. Lowing of cattle and peals of laughter were heard in the farmyard, echoed back by the barns. 
Anon they sank into stillness. Heavily closed with a jarring sound the valves of the barn doors, rattled the wooden bars, and all for a season was silent. Indoors, warm by the wide-mouthed fireplace, idly the farmer sat in his elbow chair and watched how the flames and the smoke wreaths struggled together like foes in a burning city. Behind him, nodding and mocking along the wall, with gestures fantastic, darted his own huge shadow and vanished away into darkness. Faces, clumsily carved in oak on the back of his armchair, laughed in the flickering light, and the pewter plates on the dresser caught and reflected the flame as shields of armies the sunshine. Fragments of song the old man sang and carols of Christmas, such as at home in the olden time, his fathers before him sang in their Norman orchards and bright Burgundian vineyards. Close at her father's side was the gentle Evangeline seated, spinning flax for the loom that stood in the corner behind her. Silent a while were its treadles, at rest was its diligent shuttle, while the monotonous drone of the wheel, like the drone of a bagpipe, followed the old man's song and united the fragments together. As in a church, when the chant of the choir at intervals ceases, footfalls are heard in the aisles, or words of the priest at the altar. So, in each pause of the song, with measured motion the clock clicked. Thus as they sat, there were footsteps heard, and suddenly lifted, sounded the wooden latch, and the door swung back on its hinges. Benedict knew by the hobnailed shoes it was Basil the blacksmith, and by her beating heart Evangeline knew who was with him. Welcome, the farmer exclaimed, as their footsteps paused on the threshold. Welcome, Basil, my friend. Come take thy place at the settle, close by the chimney side, which is always empty without thee. Take from the shelf overhead thy pipe and the box of tobacco. Never so much thyself art thou as when through the curling smoke of the pipe or the forge thy friendly and jovial face gleams round and red as the harvest moon through the mist of the marshes. Then, with a smile of content, thus answered Basil the blacksmith, taking with easy air the accustomed seat by the fireside. Benedict Bellefontaine, thou hast ever thy jest and thy ballad. Ever in cheerfulest mood art thou, when others are filled with gloomy forebodings of ill, and see only ruin before them. Happy art thou, as if every day thou hadst picked up a horseshoe. Pausing a moment to take the pipe that Evangeline brought him. Four days now are past since the English ships at their anchors ride in the Gaspero's mouth with their cannon pointed against us. What their design may be is unknown, but all are commanded on the morrow to meet in the church, where his majesty's mandate will be proclaimed as law in the land. Alas, in the meantime, many surmises of evil alarm the hearts of the people then made answer the farmer. Perhaps some friendlier purpose brings these ships to our shores. Perhaps the harvests in England, by untimely rains or untimelier heat, have been blighted, and from our bursting barns they would feed their cattle and children. Not so thinketh the folk in the village, said warmly the blacksmith, shaking his head as in doubt. Then heaving a sigh, he continued. 
Louisbourg is not forgotten, nor Beausejour, nor Port Royal. Many already have fled to the forest and lurk on its outskirts, waiting with anxious hearts the dubious fate of tomorrow. Arms have been taken from us, and warlike weapons of all kinds. Nothing is left but the blacksmith's sledge and the scythe of the mower. Then with a pleasant smile made answer the jovial farmer, Safer are we unarmed, in the midst of our flocks and our cornfields. Safer within these peaceful dikes, besieged by the ocean, than our fathers in forts, besieged by the enemy's cannon. Fear no evil, my friend, and to-night may no shadow of sorrow fall on this house and hearth. For this is the night of the contract. Built are the house and the barn. The merry lads of the village strongly have built them in well, and breaking the glebe round about them, filled the barn with hay, and the house with food for a twelvemonth. René Leblanc will be here anon, with his papers and inkhorn. Shall we not then be glad and rejoice in the joy of our children? As apart by the window she stood, with her hand in her lover's. Blushing, Evangeline heard the words that her father had spoken, and as they died on his lips, the worthy notary entered. Part 3 Bent like a laboring oar that toils in the surf of the ocean, bent but not broken by age was the form of the notary public. Shocks of yellow hair, like the silken floss of the maize, hung over his shoulders. His forehead was high, and glasses with hornbows sat astride on his nose, with a look of wisdom supernal. Father of twenty children was he, and more than a hundred children's children rode on his knee, and heard his great watch tick. Four long years in the times of the war had he languished a captive, suffering much in an old French fort as the friend of the English. Now, though warier grown, without all guile or suspicion, Ripe in wisdom was he, but patient and simple and childlike. He was beloved by all, and most of all by the children, for he told them tales of the loup-garou in the forest, and of the goblin that came in the night to water the horses, and of the white latiche, the ghost of a child who unchristened died, and was doomed to haunt unseen the chambers of children and how on Christmas Eve the oxen talked in the stable, and how the fever was cured by a spider shut up in a nutshell, and of the marvelous powers of four-leaved clover and horseshoes, with whatsoever else was writ in the lore of the village. Then up rose from his seat by the fireside Basil the blacksmith, knocked from his pipe the ashes, and slowly extending his right hand, Father Leblanc, he exclaimed, Thou hast heard the talk in the village, and, perchance, canst tell us some news of these ships and their errand. Then, with modest demeanor, made answer the notary public. Gossip enough have I heard, in sooth, yet am never the wiser. And what their errand may be I know not better than others. Yet am I not of those who imagine some evil intention brings them here, for we are at peace, and why then molest us? God's name, shouted the hasty and somewhat irascible blacksmith. Must we in all things look for the how and the why and the wherefore? Daily injustice is done, and might is the right of the strongest. But without heeding his warmth, continued the notary public. 
Man is unjust, but God is just. And finally, justice triumphs. And well, I remember a story that often consoled me when as a captive I lay in the old French fort at Port Royal. This was the old man's favorite tale, and he loved to repeat it when his neighbors complained that any injustice was done them. Once in an ancient city, whose name I no longer remember, raised aloft on a column, a brazen statue of justice stood in the public square, upholding the scales in its left hand, and in its right a sword, as an emblem that justice presided over the laws of the land and the hearts and homes of the people. Even the birds had built their nests in the scales of the balance, having no fear of the sword that flashed in the sunshine above them. But in the course of time, the laws of the land were corrupted. Might took the place of right, and the weak were oppressed, and the mighty ruled with an iron rod. Then it chanced in a nobleman's palace that a necklace of pearls was lost, and ere long a suspicion fell on an orphan girl who lived as maid in the household. She, after form of trial, condemned to die on the scaffold, patiently met her doom at the foot of the statue of justice. As to her father in heaven, her innocent spirit ascended. Lo, o'er the city a tempest rose, and the bolts of the thunder smote the statue of bronze, and hurled in wrath from its left hand down on the pavement below the clattering scales of the balance. And in the hollow thereof was found the nest of a magpie, into whose clay-built walls the necklace of pearls was inwoven. Silenced, but not convinced, when the story was ended, the blacksmith stood like a man who fain would speak, but findeth no language. All his thoughts were congealed into lines on his face, as the vapors freeze in fantastic shapes on the window panes in the winter. Then Evangeline lighted the brazen lamp on the table, filled till it overflowed the pewter tankard with home-brewed nut-brown ale that was famed for its strength in the village of Grand Pré. While from his pocket the notary drew his papers and inkhorn, wrote with a steady hand the date and the age of the parties, naming the dower of the bride in flocks of sheep and in cattle. Orderly all things proceeded, and duly and well were completed, and the great seal of the law was set like a sun on the margin. Then from his leathern pouch the farmer threw on the table three times the old man's fee in solid pieces of silver, and the notary rising and blessing the bride and the bridegroom lifted aloft the tankard of ale and drank to their welfare. Wiping the foam from his lip, he solemnly bowed and departed while in silence the others sat and mused by the fireside, till Evangeline brought the draft board out of its corner. Soon was the game begun. In friendly contention the old men laughed at each lucky hit or unsuccessful maneuver, laughed when a man was crowned or a breach was made in the king row. Meanwhile apart, in the twilight gloom of a window's embrasure, sat the lovers and whispered together, beholding the moon rise over the pallid sea and the silvery mist of the meadows. Silently, one by one, in the infinite meadows of heaven, blossomed the lovely stars, the forget-me-nots of the angels. Thus passed the evening away. Anon the bell from the belfry rang out the hour of nine, 
the village curfew, and straightway rose the guests and departed, and silence reigned in the household. Many a farewell word and sweet good night on the doorstep lingered long in Evangeline's heart and filled it with gladness. Carefully then were covered the embers that glowed on the hearthstone, and on the oaken stairs resounded the tread of the farmer. Soon with a soundless step the foot of Evangeline followed. Up the staircase moved a luminous space in the darkness, lighted less by the lamp than the shining face of the maiden. Silent she passed through the hall, and entered the door of her chamber. Simple that chamber was, with its curtains of white and its clothes-press, ample and high, on whose spacious shelves were carefully folded linen and woolen stuffs, by the hand of Evangeline woven. This was the precious dower she would bring to her husband in marriage, better than flocks and herds, being proofs of her skill as a housewife. Soon she extinguished her lamp, for the mellow and radiant moonlight streamed through the windows and lighted the room, till the heart of the maiden swelled and obeyed its power, like the tremulous tides of the ocean. Ah, she was fair, exceeding fair to behold, as she stood with naked snow-white feet on the gleaming floor of her chamber. Little she dreamed that below, among the trees of the orchard, waited her lover and watched for the gleam of her lamp and her shadow. Yet were her thoughts of him, and at times a feeling of sadness passed o'er her soul as the sailing shade of clouds in the moonlight flitted across the floor and darkened the room for a moment. And as she gazed from the window, she saw serenely the moon pass, forth from the folds of a cloud, and one star follow her footsteps, as out of Abraham's tent young Ishmael wandered with Hagar. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free, Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>